this, this podcast is intended for public consumption, right? I just want to check that real quick. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real DMC Podcast. This week, DMC stands for... What the fuck is wrong with that intro? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real DMC Podcast. This week, DMC stands for It's Difficult to Make Choices. Because 1984 has a shitload of really good movies, so when you're trying to come up with your top five, it can be a little tough. Uh, actually, DMC stands for Dave, Marcus, and Colin. I'm here with Marcus and Colin. What's up, guys? Hello. Hey, Dave. <laughs> it's Colin. 1984. Colin, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. All right. Well, this is the year in review episode for 1984. Um, so maybe we can just start before we jump into all that. Um, you guys watching anything interesting lately? Anything no. Jump out? <laughs> yeah, I just watched The Natural. <laughs> Well, that's a pretty great movie, actually. That's going to show up here at some point. It's actually going to show up on the list. So, um, yeah, fortuitously, I just finished watching it, like, literally one hour ago. And did it it hold up? You want to bury the lead? Did it hold up? Did you like it? Uh, I really liked it. Yeah, I'll talk about it in a little more detail. But, yeah, of course, it's a classic. It has one of the all-time great ending sports movie scenes of all time. I mean, if you don't get a chill when Roy Hobbs, you know sends it into the lights, then you're dead inside, as far as I'm concerned. It, it, it does. It probably has the, the three most iconic um, home runs in the history of baseball. You have to tell me what the other two are when we get to when we get to, we're actually talking about it because uh, I know he knocks the cover off the ball and then uh, yeah yeah knocking the cover off the baseball. What's the third? Uh, hit, hitting it into the um, into the um, lights. I guess it's the no not not the lights the uh, the clock at uh, oh, Wrigley Field when it and shattering the clock. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty awesome. Roy Hobbs, the best hitter of all time, behind Barry Bonds, of course. I've got it. I have an interesting take on the natural that that we could maybe talk about later. All right. Um, hey, Marcus, how about you? you anything that uh, you want to throw out there? Something you watched lately that you liked? Um, I've only prepped for this podcast. We've been watching the uh, Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, which was fantastic. So, no, you haven't that. started that yet. It's good. Four hours. Yeah, in. I actually tried. Uh, Tiger King. Have you guys watched that? Oh, fuck that. No. Uh, I don't. No. I don't. I have to say, I don't get what the hype is about. And um, my wife and I, Jasmine, made it two episodes, and then turn off your phone. Yeah, your phone's buzzing. It's annoying. I don't even know where my phone is. It's a thing buzzing on your desk. <laughs> oh, it's up there. Anyways, okay. Yeah. So. Uh, Tiger King, uh, that's not a recommendation for me. Like, why the hell would you want to spend six episodes worth of time with these uh, those people? Uh, two episodes was more than enough for me. So, somebody said it gets that goes further along, but uh, I was not. A fan. Reminds me of a Christopher Guest mockumentary. Oh, shots taken! No. Oh, taken! Uh, firing boy. shots at Spinal we, Tap already. We, we are going to have words. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a strange one. Um, okay, well, I think um, maybe just we can start with 84. Any, you know, 
general observations when you guys went through the list of movies what you uh what caught your eye it's a great year for comedies great year for music also lots of really good music i don't know if it's just like fantastic year looking forward to it i think here on out it's gonna get like really good movies and really remembering of this stuff so in 1984 um i turned 13 and um it's it's almost like every single movie i remember loving um probably because it had like tons and tons of hormones coursing through my veins um <laughs> that's why that's why certain certain movies and certain scenes stand out a I, little I, bit. there's a lot of r-rated comedies I, too <laughs> yeah yeah this is like i don't know if it was um me turning 13 or if it was just like you know uh serendipitous but uh this is sort of like when the teen sex comedies started in the early 80s and um certainly 1984 has its um has a couple of uh, classics indeed um I, you know, a couple of things that I had thought about when I saw the list of movies. So um, they made Breakin' and Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, in the same year. Same and year. I have to say, that's a, that's a pretty amazing accomplishment, actually. I, I, was, I didn't do any research on it, but I was curious to know if they filmed a bunch of the second one or if it was leftover footage from the first one or something. But to put out the first one, and I think it made the first one made like $35 million, I'm sure, on a very small budget. Um, and then, but then to get a sequel to a movie out the same year, that's pretty damn impressive, actually. The, um, res- the research I did is the um, after the first daily they saw, they said like let's they ordered a second one immediately. Let's just do this thing. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's working for me. They saw the amazing craftsmanship of uh, Boogaloo Shrimp, and they were like, okay, we have to do another. A couple other things that that, I, that jumped out to me. So um, th- this is a year of some a couple of really bad sequels. So uh, Conan the Destroyer, which has to be up there as one of the worst sequels ever made, I would think. Um, it's certainly not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's best performance. I would have to give uh, that to Roger Murdoch from Airplane. I thought that was Wilt Chamberlain. Oh shit! Did I just mix up those guys? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I'll edit that out. Don't worry about it. Conan, terrible. I agree. Oh, it was it was Will Chamberlain. That's right. Shit. Sorry. Wilt was horrible. Um, yes. But I think his performance was fully made up for by the performance of Olivia Dabo. Uh, I will say, and then on the horror front, that's there, there are a couple of fun horror movies. So they have, uh, this is the start of Silent Night, Deadly Night with the killer... Uh, Santa Claus or Santa Claus with an axe. So I remember that causing getting parents all up in arms about uh, horror movies because of that. I'm more inclined to murderous uh, Easter bunnies than Santa Claus. We all have our preferences, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen a killer uh, Easter bunny movie now that I think about it. The the 80s ran out and they, they couldn't, they missed their window. Yeah. Let's, let's pitch Jason Blum. Um, this is also the movie of the best Friday the 13th sequel. So this one has Friday the 13th, the final chapter. And I know that, you know, best is probably a relative term when you're looking at this particular filmography. But uh, um, I will say that it has a cool, um, has, well, it's worth watching simply to watch Crispin Glover dance. So if you want to see something fun, just look up Crispin Glover dance scene from Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Uh, and it's it's basically what you would expect. I don't want to see Crispin Glover do anything except kick. By final chapter, do they mean like there will only be five more after this? 
or or eight more or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is also the year that um, we had a change in the uh, the rating system because um, what uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was, uh, I guess, deemed uh, too too dark and violent, and so two months later, they came out with PG thirteen. And I believe Red Dawn was the first PG thirteen film. That was and, it. That and Dreamscape, I believe, those two. And Temple of Doom, because I think they changed the rating on it. Oh, like I thought after I thought... after it, it had already been uh, released. But, oh, really? They, they but, changed it midstream. When it yeah, was... they did. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll have more to say about Temple of Doom. That's uh, th- that shows up on a couple of our lists in different places. <laughs> um, and then I guess the last thing that. I would say is that uh, there, there are a couple of key movies that I missed or there are some super well-known movies that I just have never sat down and seen all the way through, which I was kind of surprised about. And so I'll throw two out there. Footloose and Goonies. I've never seen all those movies all the way through. I've seen tons of individual scenes from each of those movies, so I feel like I know them. But uh, I certainly don't have any kind of a significant relationship with those movies. And I know a lot of people would probably say those are all-time 80s classics. I haven't seen Footloose, but Goonies is surprising. I've seen that, of course. Hmm. Wow. A town that can't dance. Who cares? <laughs> Do you guys just not like Kevin Bacon? Or Kenny Actually, Loggins? I really like Kevin Bacon. Then why didn't you watch the damn movie? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe I didn't need... Well, I, maybe I saw everything I needed to see in the Footloose music video with him, you know, running around and getting his angst out in the warehouse because he was dancing out all that emotion. He's yeah. a very good gymnast. Well, I think you guys missed out on two good movies. Uh, Footloose is, it's not, it's in my honorable mentions. Uh, it's a good movie every, you know, watch it every like 20 years. Um, it's got good music, <laughs> good, good soundtrack. No, no, no. I mean, you, I mean, you, look, you marked it on the calendar. You're like, oh, is next, next year is Footloose here? Well, it's not like I'm a, 60 it's, now. It's time it's, to watch Footloose. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not a total rewatchable. Let's get the retirement community fired up. What are you guys watching? Footloose. But, it's still a good movie that you should, you know, watch every once in a while. I mean, look, Kevin Bacon. And then what, Goonies. Goonies I've is seen great. Goonies so many times. It's yeah, such a good movie. Goonies is a big surprise. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd probably sit down. I, I actually showed that movie to uh, my son and his friends at his birthday party in the backyard. I set up a sheet, had a projector. You just refused to watch it yourself? Watch it. <laughs> nope. That's what I remember about that movie is there's, uh, I, I think maybe because it has the mute, the mutant looking guy at the end, maybe that was a turnoff for me. I don't know. You have no joy in your life. Okay. Hey, Colin, uh, why don't you take us through the box office for 1984? Sure. Uh, I just want to say this is like a big year for comedy. Uh, the, the top two movies were uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters. Um, is Beverly Hills Cop a comedy? Totally. No, no, I have trouble classifying it. Really? Shut like up. It's, it's a very funny movie. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. It's a very funny movie. Like, it's an it's action hilarious. comedy. It's an action it's, comedy. It's like an action. Like, is 48 Hours a comedy? It's like Ghostbusters is a comedy thriller. There's <laughs> <laughs> no thriller. <laughs> Ghostbusters. 48 Hours and uh, Beverly Hills Cop, though, were different movies. I mean, that 48 Hours would be much more towards the uh, action. Yeah, it's a little more edgy. Homicide, but Beverly Hills Cop is a total comedy. Yeah, 48 Hours is not a comedy. Right. It has some funny lines. I don't think 48 Hours was designed to be a comedy. Usually comedies don't have the N-word thrown around. That's a good point. But Unless it's Trading Places. <laughs> or Delirious. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Two movies that showed up on our last podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was a bad call. Um, 
those both those movies made um, $230 million. Um, uh, rounding it out, the top uh, in the 3 through 10 were uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, um, Police Academy, Footloose, Romancing the Stone, Star Trek Three, and Splash. Um, so lots of comedy throughout there. I think more than 50% of those are, are comedies. No, I, I guess that number for Police Academy explains why they made so many sequels. Yeah. I, I, that's, I, I, I've never, never really understood the affection for that particular franchise. I, I, yeah. know, I know there's the dude that makes the noise, and that's about it. That's the all first one's pretty good, I thought. Michael, Michael, Michael Winslow. 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 Yeah, Winslow. Winslow. Definitely not Michael Wincott. I'm crushing it on the names today, man. My, uh, fun fact, Michael Winslow is also the uh, sounds for Gizmo in Gremlins. So Academy Awards. Yeah, the, so the Academy Awards, um, quite different than the uh, the box office. <laughs> uh, I think we could sum up the Academy Awards by with three words. Pretentious bullshit, and what's the third word? <laughs> <laughs> that is... Oh boy! <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, lo- I looked at it. I mean, everybody's you know, everyone's like saving a farm or there's you know, taking a trip. <laughs> I don't know. The Academy is uh, not in touch with people. That's really what it is. It no, I, I, I was going to say the three words were "rock me, Amadeus." Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Amadeus, uh, Amadeus. Yes, uh, Amadeus and a passage to India both had eleven nominations. But the big winner was uh, Amadeus with eight wins. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, and Best Makeup. And given the fact that it is in my top five, I'll just share you, I'll share that with you. Uh, I totally agree. I, I haven't seen it. I actually had it as a candidate for uh, homework. It's one that I've uh, been interested in, but never really seen the whole thing. Yeah, the, the the other movies that were nominated for Best Picture, uh, I will say, is a real snooze fest. Um, you got The Killing Fields, Big Downer, uh, A Passage to India, Places in the Heart, and A Soldier's Story. I haven't seen any of those movies. I may have seen A Passage to India and fell asleep, you know, um, but I have no interest in all of those other movies. And what was Places in the Heart? I'm not familiar. I mean, I, I know the name, but I'm not familiar with the movie don't remember what the plot is but that's the one that um sally field won best actress for the first time i didn't feel it but this time i feel it and i can't deny the fact that you like me right now you like me so i won't i won't get into the the rest of the detail around who won what because basically amadeus won everything um but a couple interesting things uh, from this year um the best original song um i let me just tell you what these were um so the winner was i just called to say i love you from the woman in red and that's stevie wonder song then we also had nominated against all odds uh by phil collins from against all odds footloose from footloose by kenny loggins uh let's hear it's good that it's good that they put that movie or that song in the movie footloose because you know footloose was in (laughs) Uh, a passage to India, it just wouldn't work as well. <laughs> okay, Dave. <laughs> and the the other two songs were uh, "Let's Hear It for the Boy," also from Footloose. Um, 
and uh, Ghostbusters from Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. Now, the interesting thing is that all of the nominees were number one singles on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. And it's the first time that all of the songs nominated in this category were number one hits. Um, and three of them were top 10 um, songs for the entire year. And all of them were like top 25 songs. So pretty impressive, I would say. And I think this is probably maybe some a little foreshadowing of, of um, the, the rest of the decade. Uh, so lots of top hits. Now, the other um, interesting thing about uh, best original song score is that, uh, shockingly, Prince beat the Muppets. That does really surprise me. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, other, the other thing that I would I would, was expecting to see Axel F by Harold Faltermeyer on here somewhere as a, you know, either score or, or Harold Faltermeyer as the score or uh, best original song. Uh, um, well, if, if that was in score, that was no, a huge, no, that no. was also a huge hit. I mean, that might, I don't know, did it go all the way to number one. I mean, it was, it was pretty, it, was, it received a it, lot of radio play. Yeah. I mean, it would have been in the best original score, right? And that was A Passage to India, which Maurice Jure won for that. And then you had John Williams in Indiana Jones, Randy Newman in The Natural, which is like the only score of randy newman's that i happen to like because uh, i really hate randy newman i have uh, other award news um sadly we we'll have to wait till 1991 before we get the uh the first uh, pangoria golden chainsaws but i do have the golden raspberries for the worst picture in uh, 1984 was bolero worst director john derrick for bolero worst actress bo derrick for bolero and um, Colin, you'll be sad to know that the worst new star was Olivia Dabo in uh, Bolero and Conan the Destroyer. Wait, Olivia Dabo was in Bolero? That's according to the Golden Raspberry. I'm watching Bolero. All right. Any, anything else you guys want to just add in terms of just general 84 observations before we jump into our categories? Nope. I think that pretty much covered it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think the first one is haven't seen it. So um, movies that have some, you know, renown or were successful at the box office and for whatever reason, you just never saw it. Um, I noted two of mine in the beginning, Footloose and The Goonies, which were both a surprise uh, probably to you guys. Um, how about you guys? What do you have on your list? Marcus? Yeah, I have uh, Streets of Fire, um, which is De Palma, right? Uh, that would be be walter hill actually uh which which is weird right because i always think of streets of fire as being alan parker but yeah it's walter hill from the makers of 48 hours uh i had on my list um streets of fire by walter hill i haven't seen it (laughs) the other movie um i think maybe i've seen it once but i don't really remember anything about it is uh body double Um, oh good movie good didn't you just rewatch this uh colin as a matter of fact, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, and it was really good. Uh, I, it's one of my favorite De Palma movies. That's uh, my Brian De Palma is. Yeah. <laughs> there he is. There, there's your De Palma. It has, that, that movie has one of the great all-time murder scenes, for sure. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. the, Also... The, the drill through the floor. I mean, that's pretty yeah. good. It, oh, yeah. And the blood coming out of the ceiling. And yeah. then um, one of the all-time great... Um, villains in terms of like the way that he looks the, the you know the the indian with the scarred face oh just like in that and that like really disgusting like black teeth 
really, really, really good. I won't spoil I, I need the to, I, That's actually, I, I should probably rewatch that movie, especially since my wife's cousin was the director of photography on it. Um, <laughs> I, which is interesting when you think about some of the content of that movie. Um, I, I remember the, the, where suddenly he becomes a, he's in the, was it the Frankie goes to Hollywood? Yeah. Porn movie or that yep. they're, using, they're using that song. That's one thing that's very distinctive about that. Um, and then I remember the, the end sequence with the water coming down where they, they go out to where the, uh, the reservoir, the reservoir. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I, otherwise I, I probably, um, it's just bits and pieces versus having a, a good clean memory of the narrative of that film. I, like give it more than the like first 20 minutes, which I was like, this is a little dated. Uh, it's a little like, eh, but, um, it, but then it, it really picks up after that. <laughs> I mean, especially like in like the first 10 minutes, um, on the set of, uh, of the, the movie set where he's like playing a vampire, but it's, it's really, it's got a lot of really good scenes. It's very, um, Hitchcockian. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I, rem- I really remembered having, uh, um, like liking this movie and then, I was just getting into it more and more um, when I saw it the other night. So we should do a deep dive on De Palma at some point, just to talk about his movies, because uh, I, I I like a lot of his movies. Some of his stuff is pretty uneven, but uh, I don't know. I, I think he's a pretty compelling filmmaker for sure. Agreed. He's not my favorite, and I think um, from his era, um, he's like not sort of the most successful guy. But he's done some really interesting work. All right. Uh, how about on your list, Colin, for anything that you missed? Well, I've never seen The Pope of Greenwich Village because I just don't, I'm not into like, you know, Catholicism. Um, and that's always what I thought it was about. But apparently it's about Mickey Rourke. So I would probably maybe watch that because I, I do like young Mickey Rourke. I really don't know what it's about. I know it's not about the Pope. Broadway, Danny Rose, haven't seen. And then Blood Simple by the Coen Brothers, which I have seen. I just don't re- remember, but I really do want to watch that one again. Yeah, that, so. that's actually, I, I was surprised uh, when you said that, because I would have assumed that every Coen movie is uh, on some sort of an ongoing rotation through your head, if not that you're actually watching it. Not everyone. No. It, I mean, it's their first film. Um, I have seen it. I just don't really remember it that much, which is yeah. no no surprise. I have a terrible memory. You know, actually, so I should probably point out that the other one that was on my list is Amadeus. So I've never seen Amadeus. Uh, and based on the fact that it won eight Academy Awards and it's on your top five list, that seems like a pretty good candidate. But obviously, we're not going to do it as a homework assignment if uh, it's actually already on your top five. I'm just going to throw this out there and say Amadeus is a really great fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll check it out. Maybe I need to, you know, I need to prioritize either watching that or Blue Thunder. <laughs> Definitely Amadeus. Also, Marcus, I mean, this is an opportunity. Any update on your number five slot for 1983? Because that's going to be an ongoing, uh, an ongoing request from everyone just to get that slot filled. I'm still holding it open. The hunger did not make it surprisingly. Well, maybe we should talk homework assignment. What do you guys want to watch? Colin, I saw that you listed uh, Repo Man. I have a lot of experience with the soundtrack for the movie. Uh, it's excellent. We listened to it so many times, but I honestly can't remember much about the movie at all. So I've probably seen it once, maybe twice, but I don't remember. And I don't know if that's just because the plot wasn't that great or if it was just, I don't remember it. So that'd be a good one. I'd enjoy rewatching. Hovis, I don't know if you uh, had that on your list or what you think. 
Well, I, what I'd say, I'm fairly familiar with that movie. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. It also, for me, has the advantage of being a movie that I watched with some rotation back when I was younger. So I, it has a nostalgic edge to it, I'm sure. I, I think it, if you went in and just watched that movie cold right now, I could see it being a bit of a tough sit, but it'd be an interesting rewatch for me. And I, it would, if you guys want to settle on that one or if we end up going there, that, that would be fine. Well, I, I don't know. Uh yeah, I don't, I think I've seen it or maybe I've just seen parts of it and um, I wasn't very impressed, didn't really care for it. Um, so I might watch it again just to see. Um, but there is a movie that's on my list that I have not seen. I don't know if you've guys seen, have you, if you've seen this or not, uh, but it sounded really interesting. It's, it's uh, The Hit by Stephen Frears. Nope. I wasn't familiar with that. So it's a British road crime movie and it stars John Hurt and uh, Terrence Stamp and also has a young Tim Roth. Uh, and it just sounded really, really interesting. It's got some music from Eric Clapton and Roger Waters. It sounds like a very interesting movie. Well, I love Terrence Stamp for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I love all those people. Yeah. He's from the Limey, right? Is that yeah. Terrence Stamp? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, you know, what I realized, maybe we have to go in order in terms of kind of somebody making the call. And uh, since Marcus chose The Hunger, he uh, doesn't get to choose again for at least two more movies. Well, I was going to say uh, the hit is uh, it was released on DVD uh, through Criterion. So that gives it some weight. But then I think okay. also Marcus watched The Hunger on the, <laughs> the Criterion Hunger channel. So. <laughs> um, that's so, so sure it, that was it. a rising and falling action in terms of the value of it being a Criterion release. What, uh, what, I was going to say, the only, so I actually had the Pope of Greenwich Village on my list as well, because I've kind of been curious about that movie, and I've never seen it. Uh, the only other thing that jumped out to me, and I'm sure you guys are not going to go for it, but I've never seen The Razor's Edge with Bill Murray, and I'm a Bill Murray fan, and I'm just kind of curious about that movie. Uh, Bill Murray's uh, first foray into dramatic acting. Yeah. Um, I just have no interest in seeing that. Well, then I'd say it's either what the Pope of Greenwich Village, or the Hit, or Repo Man. Yeah, those are the three, <laughs> three very different movies. <laughs> uh, Colin, would... you get to make the choice. You yeah. have to decide. You. But I can't. Decide. But I can't like just you know vote for my own. Yeah, you can. Nominee. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. I haven't okay. seen. Like I've seen Repo Man. I'm far more familiar with that movie than I don't know anything about the other two. Okay, that's how, so, we, that's how we can do this. We can discuss it, and then, but then we can give each person the veto authority. I think yeah. each time around, so we'll go Marcus, Colin, Dave, Marcus, Colin, Dave. Then, then let's do this. Let's do the hit. And should it be, shouldn't it be Dave, Marcus, Colin? It should be, but since we started first order, we're gonna we're gonna stick with it now. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Uh, let so let's do the hit. But if for some reason we can't find it on DVD or uh, or streaming, then we could switch over to Pope of Greenwich Village. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So we have our homework assignment. All right. For 1984. It is the hit. So uh, our next category is the love it, don't. Colin, why don't you start us off? What do you got on your list? Um, hold on a sec. My, my, my headphones are falling off my head. Okay. That's better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. They love it. You don't. I actually, I didn't really see. Are we sure this is not our first podcast? By the way? <laughs> <laughs> this one feels really rambling, but okay. Well, I think it's like when you're in like day 79 of captivity. You yeah. Know, it's Corn, I'm uh, quarantine cracking right now. 
Um, yeah, so there weren't that many movies where it really something st- stuck out as being uh, like I really hate that movie, but even though it's very popular. So I'm gonna go with um, Ghostbusters because uh, I did love this movie when it came out. I I remember leaving the theater just thinking that that it was the shit, and but I was 13 at the time, and you know, like over the years, I just um, I really didn't think it was all that funny. I thought it was pretty silly, actually. Um, I like all the people that are in it. I just it just didn't do it for me. Um, and I don't love it like other people love it. Yeah, I don't uh, think of Ghostbusters. I mean, it's, it's sure it's a classic, but it, for me personally, it's not an all time classic. And it's super easy for me to compare a Bill Murray movie that I genuinely love like Groundhog Day, for example, and compare that to Ghostbusters. And I think it's uh, much better. And it's it's funny because we watched Ghostbusters, or I've only watched it once, where I've sat down and actually, you know, purposefully watched it. And that was to show it to my kids probably three or four years ago. And everybody kind of liked it, had fun with it. And then we just kind of moved on. So it wasn't, um, you know, my kids have never mentioned it since seeing it the first time. So it was interesting. It did not. It did not have a generational impact, or didn't didn't hit them the same way it hit a lot of people when we were growing up. I, I feel like it was sort of like groundbreaking for the year, um, but it just you know it, it paved the way for a lot of other movies. Um, but you know, when you watch it again now, it's just like, eh, it's all right. No, I, I mean, I, I like it. I think it's a good movie. I just don't. Um, it's not one. I always kind of rate these based on, you know, do you sit down to watch it? Do you own it? Is it something that you seek out uh, to sit down and enjoy? And not, not, not this one doesn't, it's, it's a good movie, but it just doesn't do that for me. Yeah. I wouldn't defend it. I think it's a, it's a classic, uh, but it's not a rewatchable is the way I'd kind of look at it. It was great at the time, but now I'd, I wouldn't put it on. Yeah. The, the other movie that I thought of was purple rain. Um, but I, I don't really think purple rain is like, is really considered a great movie. I just think a lot of Prince fans like it and that's why it's popular. And I just don't happen to be a big Prince fan. So that sort of falls under that category. Yeah, no, I, I'm not really a big Prince fan. That's an amazing album for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, it's, yeah. That's the album, not the movie. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. I'm, I, I don't actually truthfully even know that I've ever seen purple rain. Another one of those movies all the way through. I've seen yeah. little, little chunks of it here and there. And certainly the, uh, Let's Go Crazy video was pretty cool, uh, which I think was just lifted directly from the movie. Uh, and I, I love that album. I love all the music on that album. So, uh, well, I think the video, f- the the video for uh, when, when when doves cry is pretty much all clips from the movie, or a lot, or like a lot of clips from the movie. Oh, is it? I, I, I thought, as I recall, I thought that was him in a bathtub with the doves and smoke and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I th- maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It was. 40 years ago. <laughs> and I'm also not that big of a Prince fan. So you don't like, I mean, I can understand not liking the movie because I don't think I've ever seen the movie and had no real interest, but the music's amazing. You don't, so you're not a fan of the music? Or you're just like, eh? Uh, I'm not a fan of the movie. Uh, in fact, I just started, I started watching it the other night. And I was like, I thought wow. you were gonna say, and I just, I just started an anti-purple rain club that I'm trying <laughs> no, to get no. involved in. 
I I really couldn't get through it. You know, it's just it's very hackneyed, and it's really just a bit built all around Prince who can't act. And um, I don't expect it. It's not a terrible movie. It's not a terrible movie actually, but it's really not all that good. And I don't. I'm not a big Prince fan. You know, so yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's why it made the list. I was also going to put Splash on this list because I'm not a big Daryl Hannah fan. I would agree with that. I don't. Is, is there anybody? That's supposed to be a dick statement. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think the great thing about Splash is the rack, the accidental racquetball hit uh, where it, it hits John Candy in the head. That's one of the all-time uh, great uh, filming mishaps that turned into uh, something cool. Don't remember it. Yeah. Okay, Marcus. Uh, how about yours? They love it. You don't. Yeah. The uh, I have Buckaroo Banzai on my list. Uh, not a fan of can the. I, can I just can I just offer you a hearty fuck you right now? <laughs> uh, I'm just not a fan of it. It's confusing as fuck. It's just weird, and I just don't like it at all. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I also have no interest in watching it again. So not a fan. And I know that some. Probably the more controversial one is I'm not a fan of the Christopher Guest mockumentaries. So this is Spinal Tap is on my list. As much as I like Rob Reiner, this one I am not a fan of either. I just such a bad take. Yeah, that's a horrible take, dude. <laughs> so. I don't know. I just find it a little too uh just don't get into it. I just funny. Not yeah, I don't find it funny. I don't find it ironic the, the Spinal Tap, like just... Best in Show, the all of those. I'm not You don't no. like those movies, really? Wow. No. Who are you? <laughs> Colin, maybe and, we should just make make this. And the, that's the end uh, of the, the, the DC <laughs> podcast. Welcome to the DC podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the real DC podcast. We had to bury Marcus in the backyard after he shit all over Spinal Tap. So. No, they just, I don't know. I just don't find them all that funny. The, and people like them as classics, and they don't do it for me. Well, I'll talk about Buckery Bonsai a little bit when we get to Guilty Pleasures, because I am a big fan of that movie. Yeah. I, I'm I'm interested I, I in hearing that actually because uh, uh, I I think I may have seen this like back in '84. I just thought what I remember is I, I thought it looked stupid and ridiculous, and I didn't really care to watch it. Um, but I I watched the trailer um, a couple hours ago, and I thought I might like this movie now. Uh, that that would be a curious experiment actually, because I I think going in. And kind of like Repo Man, actually, and watching this movie for the first time now without having the benefit of uh, historical or nostalgic association, it might be might be tough to get through. Or I, I could see where it would be kind of irritating. Um, but yeah, well, we it just looked like like it might be so like weird and over the top that I might actually find it really interesting and funny now. Like my my future self, Mark, my now self, as opposed yeah. to well, I think people don't. That that's one thing about that movie that I don't know that people really understand is I think they they think that it was intended to be it was being played straight. It, right, they're making a sci-fi movie. It's clearly not. When you watch that movie, it has a <laughs> there's a heavy edge of satire. There's just little moments of sideways insanity. My favorite one is these guys are you know there's an intense moment where they're trying to you know fight the aliens and they're going through and all of a sudden you see just a watermelon off to the side. And they're, hey, what's that watermelon doing that, doing there? I'll tell you later. Never reference it. They just keep going. There's like shit like that throughout the entire movie that is tons of fun. So right. I Plus Ellen Barkin. Yeah, again, I think we <laughs> talked about this before. I don't get the Ellen Barkin thing myself, but uh, I know that I know you're a fan, Colin. So I'm a fan. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I will on my list uh, for They Love It, You Don't. I'm going to throw the Temple of Doom on there. 
I'm waiting to see if I'm going to get a reaction from Colin. That's fine. No, I, I get it. Like, look, it's my least favorite um, Indiana Jones movie by far. But you're not counting The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Time out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, no, I did not like that movie either. Uh, no. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, but I, I think you're... I, I mean, do you hate the movie or is it just like, eh, it's it's all right? Yeah, that's it. It's it's all right. And for me, the um, it's Kate Capshaw actually, which doesn't doesn't work for me. And I I think she distracts the entire movie. Uh, And I think if you put a different actress in there, and and I understand that's the whole point is the character is is supposed to be kind of you know grating and um, you know disruptive to Indy for sure. Uh, But that part of it is just it it just it's too much. It's it's kind of annoying. Uh, The whole short round thing. I think that you know you're reaching pretty hard for the cute kid angle, and it feels a little forced. Um, Short round, you don't think he's cute? Oh, he's I, cute, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily watch an Indiana Jones film to watch him be partnered up with a kid. Is what I would I, say. He was great. I liked him. I'm a fan. Dave and, liked it. Dave liked it when Short Round was being tortured. Yeah. Well, a, we all we all have different things that appeal to us as, we, as you watch a movie. <laughs> And then, you know, I, the thing that always sticks out to me, too, is the mine, the mine trick or the mine uh, ride on that uh, for that film. And, you know, that's just a little bit. <laughs> the the it, mine ride. Yeah. Where, you know, where it's, where it's yes. jumping the track and like the yeah. big you know gaps in the track and it's landing perfectly on its wheels. And so, you know, I don't know. It's were just, you thinking that they were just you know, they were, were they were doing the scene so that they could get a ride at like um, Disneyland, Disneyland or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and the last thing for me, the dinner sequence where uh, they're just throwing things in your face because they're gross or weird. It's just ah, chilled monkey brain. Yeah, it just comes across <laughs> as kind of forced and dumb. I don't know. It's, so it, overall, it's fine. I mean, it's not a uh, it, it's not a movie I dislike. What I think the end of that movie is by far the best part on the bridge. That's the coolest part. The of The bridge it. is a great scene. Yeah, that's a great scene. That's a, that's actually a, a, you know where he wraps his. Uh, foot around the bridge because he, he knows he's going to cut it and all that. I think that's pretty cool. But the rest of it, I'm like, meh. I, I mean, let me ask you this, Colin. When's the last time that you sat down and watched Temple of Doom, you know, made the choice to watch it? It's been a while, but I was actually going to do it for this podcast and I just ran out of time because I wanted to see. It's been a, a long time and the, the reason it's been a long time is I always go for Raiders or I'll go for Last Crusade and I rarely yeah. go for Temple of Doom. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, and so I, I I will do the same thing. I'll skip over the middle one. Um, I will say that Mia and I are going to my daughter and I are going to watch all of the uh, all of the Indiana, or at least the first three, I should say, uh, back to back. So I'll be able to get her read on it, and I'll be able to do a rewatch myself. So that'll be kind of fun because I'll be curious to see what she has to think about it. All right, I'm, I'm wondering if Temple Doom, if if it still has a reputation, if you watch it now for the first time, as being that dark. Or if that was just something that people were unprepared for. Because, I think it was a knee-jerk reaction. Because I don't. I mean, other than he he rips the guy's heart out. Um, it, it, that's is that really what all the fuss is about? But certainly, pulling out a still beating heart from a man's chest is uh, pretty pretty dark for like ten year olds. Yeah, I, I could see that. I guess. So I'll, I'll let you know what Mia thinks. That'll be fun. That should be interesting. Okay. Well, I think we can probably move on to our guilty pleasures of 1984 well colin i bet you and i might have a couple crossovers here so why don't you start us off i'll start off with um a movie i alluded to earlier hot dog the movie um i'm not going to go into the plot of hot dog the movie there's really no choice it's just fucking 
tits and ass. All right, that's and ants and, and skiing and, and, and skiing and skiing and and Squirrel Murphy. Don't forget Squirrel. about Squirrel Murphy. Right. I mean, really, there's only two two words for this movie: Shannon Tweed. Uh, what about Kiss Ass Blaster? No, because that's the that's the jump that Harkin Banks does and sticks the landing, but still he uh, loses the championship title to Rudy. Rudy's the uh, he's the the German guy, right? He's uh, I had sunny side up and sunny side down and sunny side all the way around. And uh, my brother and I used to end our trips to um, skiing uh, with a Chinese downhill. So we we would go up to the very top of the mountain and we'd have an all out race to get to the bottom of the hill. Uh, I think he probably won most of them, but one time I pushed him straight into a snowbank and it was epic. I was very very satisfied with that. But yeah, this is not a certainly not a good movie. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a fun movie. It's not it, like a. It's, it's certainly an, not. It's it, sort of well made. It's got good skiing stunts. It, oh, it's got great skiing, and it has to this day. It has quotes that still get used uh, in our friend circle. Uh, which one of the ones is when they lose their broom ball match and they were coming back and and uh, was it David? Is it David Naughton? Is that who? Yeah, David Naughton. Yeah. David Naughton proclaims that we were small, but we were slow. <laughs> and that's his read on his on their performance as a team. So, yeah, I love hot dog. It's fun. It's a cool movie. Um, hey, Colin, what else you got on your list? Um, I also have um, Streets of Fire. Yeah, I have not seen this movie in a while. So this is like Walter Hill. It's like a, what do they call it? Like a rock and roll fable or something like that. That's like sort of the tagline. So there's yeah. lots of music in it. it stars Michael Paré and Willem Dafoe and Diane Lane. Um, I mean, Diane Lane right there, like you probably the best reason to see this movie. But I, I haven't seen this in, again, probably about 30 years. Um, I really want to see it again. Um, just, just to see like how either good or bad it is. I, I, I don't remember it as being like a really good movie, which is why I put it on my uh, guilty pleasures. Uh, but the one thing I, I just always think of when I think about this movie is, um, Lee Ving, who plays like the right hand man of Willem Dafoe. So he's basically like the, he's the heavy. Um, and Lee Ving happens to be the front man for the LA punk band Fear. And I am not a punk fan, a fan of like punk rock at all. But for some reason, Lee Ving has always stuck in my mind and specifically his role in this movie. Cause he actually did like some, he did uh, some acting in, in, during the eighties is like some character acting. He's got a really good face. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really all I, I, I know about this movie, but I want to watch it again. Cause I feel like the, the music was good. And Michael Paré had like sort of, um, his time back in like 83 to 85 where he was actually sort of big. And then he, I don't know, I don't know what happened to him. Well, I think he had, was it, he had this, he had the Philadelphia experiment and Eddie, Eddie and their cruisers. cruisers. Th- those are, those are the three movies yeah. that come to mind with that guy. Yeah. I actually, I really like this movie, Streets of Fire. It's, um, it's interesting. I saw it, uh, with Andy McGowan at Oak Ridge Mall. And shout out to Andy McGowan. Um, and, uh, to, actually, you know, one thing that I would say about this is it's pretty interesting if you go back and read about the production on this film. Because they did it on a back lot. And so to create, they were trying to create a night look. And so they put these tarps over entire sections of the, of the outdoor lot when they were filming it. And so that, that gives it a very strange kind of green hue when you're watching the movie. It has a very strange color palette. And that's partially because of the way that they, the, the actual production behind it. 
Um, it has lots of cool music, like you mentioned. In fact, the was that the Moving Sidewalk that song. I know that song got pretty high on the charts, <clears throat> and um, I think and it has a fantastic climactic fight between uh, Michael Perry and uh, Willem Dafoe, where they actually go at each other with sledgehammers on the you know with uh, where they have you know there there's a group of cops and citizens with guns on one side, and then all the bad guys, and they're all kind of dressed up like Marlon Brando and on the waterfront, which is pretty funny. That's what the motorcycle gang looks like, um, but it's a it's a totally fun uh, sledgehammer fight. So it's just and it's just pretty cool. And the, the last thing I'd say that always sticks out about this is there's a great scene where uh, Michael Perry is taking away this guy's butterfly knife in the beginning and then giving it back to him. Uh, you know, where he, and he flips it and throws it back to him to try and attack him again. And it's just it's just fun. It's cool. Yeah, he's he plays a um, an interesting character in this movie for sure. Um, and, and but again, it kind of shows maybe why. Uh, you know, he wasn't a huge star because there's not a ton of range that you see. Um, oh, and the last thing I'd say is Rick Moranis shows up in this movie too, as a, a small, small Weasley manager of the uh, of the singer Ellen Aim. So it's cool. I like it. It's worth watching. Fun. Cool. Well, I'm I plan on watching it again. Well, I had a couple other movies on my list, so I did have Buckaroo Banzai. Um, I will. So first of all, let me say that this movie has the 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 greatest uh, credit sequence of any movie of all time when they're walking through the LA river uh, and the music's playing has a, has a, I, I love that song and just the way that they do it is, is really cool. Is that the end credits? Yeah. The end credits. Okay. Cause that was mostly in the trailer. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, they, were, they didn't show the credits, but th- that was like, and they were sort of like, like he's walking through, uh, through the LA river. And then like somebody comes off from the sides, from the sides right? walking yeah. behind him or next to him. And like, they all keep doing that. And now there's like all these people. Yeah, this this is a movie that I'm excited to show to Mia as part of our as part of our you know introductory movie podcast I'm doing with her because um, I think the I'll be this to me is is one of the movies that stands out in my head where you say okay well what is the ultimate eighties eighties movie uh, and from a sci fi standpoint this one is up there for me um, I think the performances are all tons of fun it's super tongue in cheek everyone's having a good time. You have John Lithgow just going, uh, swinging for the fences. So he's, you know, he's dialing it up past 11, um, in terms of his acting style. It has, um, a really fun performance from Jeff Goldblum. And just the concept that, you know, Buckaroo Banza is a musician slash neurosurgeon slash, uh, adventurer that is traveling to other dimensions. I think if you just get that basic description, you kind of know what you're dealing with. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's tons of fun. And I'm a huge fan of this movie. Love it. Cool. Well, that's another one I think I'm going to go watch. A couple other ones on my list. So Dreamscape, uh, which I think I mentioned earlier was one of the two early um, PG-13 movies. I don't know that this movie is that good if I were to rewatch it right now, but I will say I fondly remember it because of, you know, a couple, just the concept was kind of cool. If you could invade someone's dream and mess with them, uh, I thought that was kind of fun. Um, and then I, I remember kind of liking the movie uh, Runaway. Which Marcus used to get confused with. Uh, what was the movie that you got this confused with? Uh, Blade Runner. Blade. <laughs> really? Man. Oh. Uh, two two very different films. Uh, but this is this has Tom Selleck, Tom Selleck. where yeah. he's fighting uh, small robots that attack you. But then there's also this cool concept of bullets that can track people and fly around corners. And that's what I remember. And and it also has uh, a bonkers performance from Gene Simmons of Kiss as, as the bad guy, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I think I uh, liked this movie when I saw it. 
Um, and then I had the last thing on my list. So Friday the 13th, I mentioned this earlier, the final chapter. Um, this is, it's the best of the Friday the 13th sequels and it has a really cool, uh, Tom Savini makeup effect. That's kind of, um, you know, well known as one of the things that they had to try and cut to avoid the X rating, which is Corey Feldman slams a machete into, uh, Jason Voorhees head. And then as he falls, he falls on the machete and slowly slides down as he slides into the carpet or the ground. Uh, and it's just kind of a cool effect. It looks good. So the special effects in that are fun. Um, but you know, obviously it's, uh, your mileage may vary if you have any interest in the Friday 13th series. If you did not read Fangoria magazine as a 13 year old, like Dave, you yes. Not appreciated as much. <laughs> Shout out to Tom Meiniger for uh, fi- seeing me for the very first time sitting on my bed reading Fangoria magazine. Tom doesn't listen. It's all right. Fucker. <laughs> we should tell him that he got a shout out. Maybe he'll listen. Go. Yeah, maybe. Just was, bad mouth him. All right. Anybody else? Uh, anything on the? Any? You guys have any other guilty pleasures you want to mention? I was just going to quickly mention the last Starfighter. I don't know if it's like a guilty pleasure. Probably when I, when I when I look back at it and I I, I think about the um, the special effects, which were like very sort of uh, um, early '80s, but um, sort of like new computer generated technology. It looks pretty cheesy nowadays, so I'd say yeah. it's probably a guilty pleasure. But I I really I really like this movie. Is that um, the one like it's a early Ender's Game concept? Like yes, exactly. To, like save the world. Yeah, right. You have to, uh, uh, does he use the? Is it called the Death Blossom at the very end of the movie? Is that Death the, Blossom? Is that the uh, movie yeah, that yeah. where he destroys all so, the other yes. ships in the sky? Uh huh. Yeah, I think so. Save the universe or save the galaxy from like Zur and the Kodan Armada. It sounds like someone took a bong hit before the next <laughs> Yeah, I think so. But it's just good. And it's a really good uh, performance by Robert Preston. Yeah, it's just like a fun movie. So I threw it on there. All right. So, uh, hey, next category would be uh, Jamie Solange's Hidden Gem. Who, who the fuck is Jamie Solange? And why is it? Why are these his hidden gems? It's a mystery now. So my hidden gem is the documentary Stop Making Sense, directed by Jonathan Demme from Silence of the Lambs, a concert film of Talking Heads concert. Uh, the uh, Talking Heads are great. I enjoy their music a lot. It's nothing, uh, there's no behind the scenes or anything else. It's just watching them in concert. But it's great music. It's uh, a fun listen. Uh, it's nice to have on in the background. And it's done really well. It's actually pretty impressive. I watched it a couple times this week, just having it on while I've been working and stuff. And uh, it's pretty amazing watching the uh, the concert. They have they bring like so much energy and they bring so much like at certain points they're doing like laps around the the uh, stage. The guys dripping sweat. Just a great fun new wave band. It's uh, one of the few I can still listen to today and enjoy the music. So. I uh, highly recommend it. Great energy and uh, really big suits. Yeah, they're really big suits. This shows up uh, consistently on the list for the uh, either the greatest or one of the greatest concert films ever made. And uh, I, I don't think I've, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever actually seen it, but and I, I like the Talking Heads. Although I would not say that Talking Heads are a band that I will you know put on my say Spotify channel or something. But I like their music when I hear it when it comes on. I mean, I'll hear listen to the song, whatever the song is. Yeah, it's kind of surprising because it's kind of a very simple concert film. It's not over the top. It's not like uh, 
it's not YouTube's rattle and hum where they're doing like so much, but it's just a great, like just a fun concert. Yeah, I've heard people say that this it's the simplicity of the film that's great, and then also how it build how the energy builds throughout the performance. Those yeah. are the the two things that I've heard them heard people comment on. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that the the energy they bring is really like impressive. Like you wouldn't like I mean, think Talking Heads is not quite what you expect, um, but they really do bring a lot to. It'd be a fun concert to be at for sure. Stop making sense is on the. Available now streaming on the Criterion channel. Do you do you own stock in Criterion? I was going to say, is Criterion a new sponsor that we're on with? Criterion, if you're listening, the sponsorship spot is open. All right. All right. Well, after our criticism <laughs> of The Hunger, I, I don't think they're going to be extending any <laughs> offers. Um, for my hidden gems, I, was, uh, I have two movies, but really it's probably only one movie because I think, um, so Once Upon a Time in America, which is Sergio Leone's, like almost four hour long epic of uh, 1920s, 1930s, um, New York, uh, Jewish gangsters, um, and the friendship that they have over the course of like, you know, like 20 years from the time they were kids to adults. Um, I, I really love this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember seeing it a couple times and as a, in, um, you know, between, you know, in my teens and, um, to, to watch a movie like that, a four hour long movie, a, a few times as a teenager, I think shows a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, Free time. uh respect. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. This is really sort of like a hidden gem, right? I, I think, I think a lot of people know about this movie. Right. I think it, I mean, it actually had it on my honorable mentions list. I was yeah. going to say of all the movies where you have a main character uh, named Noodles. It's probably it's probably the best. <laughs> yeah, it's also like you know, Robert De Niro, James Woods. Uh, I mean, come on, not a bad choice. This is a good movie, and I this I think this movie is great on uh, in showing the city, like using the city as a character, and and uh, watching it you know age throughout the course of the movie. It's uh, the, or let me say the production design on this movie is off the charts. It's, yeah. it's great. It's it's really cool. Yeah, so the the other one that I would say is maybe more of a hidden gem is uh, uh the Flamingo Kid uh with Matt Dillon. Uh I haven't, this one I really haven't seen in a long time. Uh might have been since like 1984. Uh but I think I saw it a few times. I think we had it on video. Um and uh, I always remember it was just like a nice sweet movie, you know, sort of like a bit of coming of age and I think might have been like Matt Dillon's like first like really big like sort of star turn because he was uh he's the lead in it uh i don't think I've, i don't know if i've ever seen it marcus uh no what is really? it what is it what is it about like what's the so it, it, he's uh he's a kid um like a you know like working class kid from brooklyn i think he's and, a kid uh, and he's also a flamingo yes and he he goes with some friends he gets invited to uh like this um club um it's, it's like a country club but like um um more like a like a no i guess it's a country club right um on the shore so they've got like pools and cabanas and and there's like a lot of rich people there uh and he gets invited to go play some uh, he ends up playing like uh gin you know because all the all the men it's like during the summer all the men like they sit around they play cards all day right um but they're all like you know rich guys and um he's sort of like sort of taken with the life and he ends up getting 
a job there uh, and working his way up to Cabana Boy. And he sort of like gets taken under the wing of this rich guy who's played by Richard Crenna. Uh, who happens to be like a great card player and like everyone loves him. It's sort of like, you know, like coming of age, but his, his father, Matt Dillon's father, you know, he doesn't like this at all. He thinks his son is getting spoiled, um, that that's not real life, you know, that, um, cause he's still like a working class kid from Brooklyn. Um, it's got like, uh, is it Janet Jones? I think, is it Janet Jones? Yeah. Maybe Janet Jones is sort of like the love interest. Um, uh, you know, blonde rich girl from, you know, Long Island or something. Uh, it's a good movie. Uh, again, I haven't seen it in a long, long, long time, but I always remember it as being very good. Yeah. And no- great, great, great Matt Dillon performance. He's super, super likable. Well, it's got Richard Crenna in it. That makes it more appealing. I, I like Richard. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, Crenna's great. Yeah. What I really want to hear is what Marcus thinks about this movie. Yeah, Marcus, why don't you, uh, what are your thoughts on the Flamingo Kid? No. Okay. Um, I have two hidden gems on my list. Uh, the first one is the movie All of Me with for, with uh, Steve Martin, where Lily Tomlin ends up inhabiting uh, in, inhabiting half his body or taking uh, control of half his body because she is a rich woman who's trying to transfer her soul into another body, and shenanigans happen, and it and en- she ends up in uh, Steve Martin, and so. The reason why I like this movie is it's great Steve Martin physical comedy. So that that's really the reason to see it. So if you want to see early Steve Martin where it's um, a little closer to The Jerk than maybe some of his other movies that he was making around that time, uh, it's just kind of fun. And especially, you know, for example, watching him learn to walk when he has a second soul in his body and all that, it's, it's just tons of fun. So if you're a Steve Martin fan and you like his physical comedy, it's worth watching. It's fun. And he has good chemistry with Lily Tomlin. Colin, do you uh, do you rate Steve Martin and uh, Chevy Chase similar? I like Steve Martin a lot better than Chevy Chase, but I was never a huge fan of The Jerk. Um, but I do, I do like the movie. I, I think it's funny. So no, I, I I like Steve Martin. So in my other real true hidden gem, because I don't know if this movie is all that well known, is Night of the Comet. So this is uh, a post-apocalyptic. Uh, tale, but it's um, told from the perspective of two teenage girls, and there's a comet that flies over, and anybody who was not in a space that was protected by metal is uh, vaporized. And so they wake up in the morning, and they're in Los Angeles, and uh, everybody's gone. And so you see them start to try to piece things together, but then they also go out and they, you know, raid shopping malls and you know, pick up some Mac tens and, you know, they have a couple shootouts cause there's people that were partially exposed that become kind of zombie creatures. And, um, it's just fun. It features a very uh, young Robert Beltran performance. Uh, Colin, I believe you would know Robert Beltran as Chakotay from Star Trek Voyager. Oh, Chakotay. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, and it, it's fun. It's, um, it, um, it's definitely, you know, it, to me, the other thing that's fun about this movie is when you read about how they shot it, to get the um, to get the shots of Los Angeles with nobody there, they would uh, go out and shoot really early in the morning and do things like they would have people distract, uh, you know, to try to stop cars from going through. And so, um, and it's it's when you are looking at the movie and there, it's supposed to be this you know apocalyptic landscape where no one's there. You can see people every once in a while they just like pop up behind a window or something, so they're in the background. So apparently there were other survivors out there, but it's fun. It's cool. It's just a it's a neat little '80s. It's a hidden gem, if you will. I remember uh, this movie and and really liking it and 
watching it a few times and then just completely forgetting about it. But um, is this Catherine Mary Stewart who's in this? Yeah. Okay. Also from The Last Starfighter. She was uh, she was like sort of a hot thing for about two minutes. And then I don't know what happened. Is she also in Footloose? Is that her? No. No, that's Lori, 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 Lori Singer, who I don't okay. like. All right. Throw up there with Daryl Hannah. Yeah, Daryl Hannah. <laughs> okay. That's, so, so yeah, I, I'd probably rewatch Night of the Comet again because uh, it's been so long and I really remember liking that movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's low budget sci-fi, so temper your expectations, but yeah, it's fun. It's a cool concept. And I well, believe... Uh, why am I blanking on the name of that video game? I should know this, but... Um, Galaga. No, no, it's not Galaga. It's 1942. Space Invaders. <laughs> just going to start... <laughs> the next hour is you just throwing out random video games. Yars uh, Revenge. No, 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 no. It's the it's the one where you're... It's vectors and it's all vector graphics and you're sitting Lo- there on the outside. Lunar Lander. And... Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> What what you're talking about a video game? Yeah, yeah, because that's a, that's a she Tempest. she ends up she's playing this game in the Tempest. and Tempest, Tempest. Yes, te- I think it's Tempest. She's playing Tempest. That was a long that? way to get to something that was uh, not a good reveal. Go ahead and edit that out, Marcus. <laughs> We're keeping in all those video games. Okay. I can keep going. Yeah, keep going. Alien right. syndrome. All right. Well, Move we're on hour and a half into this i know we need to wrap it up and load it so. <laughs> yeah, that's fine so okay and then uh so our next category would be shout outs so any any quick movie you want to mention but you don't want to go into uh any level of detail but it did not make your top five um marcus go ahead and start us off it was a good year of comedies but none of them are i wouldn't say they're great movies but they're fun enjoyable movies to watch the ones i would mention would be bachelor party splash ghostbusters uh police academy and revenge of the nerds all just kind of fun movies worth watching if you haven't seen them, but they're not like if you miss them. I think Revenge of the Nerds might be a, a tough one to uh, watch or might be a little harder to watch these days in terms of. Uh, no, I, I saw it a couple of years ago and it was, I thought it was really funny. Well. Really? Yeah, no, it was really good. Yeah. It's much exactly better than I remember. Like, also, um, both Bachelor Party and Splash were Tom Hanks films. And um, so it's kind of his movie debut of uh, transferring from. Uh, a TV sitcom star in Boots and Buddies to uh, to the big screen. So, I, I love Bachelor Party. I have to watch it again. It is a good it, one. It's got some really good lines too. He that he, he that might be. I think he is like the most likable and funny of any of his comedies. You're a slob. You dress like a bum. Second, you're unmotivated. You have no self-esteem. No thought about the future. You're inconsiderate, you're insensitive, you're insincere, and you're irresponsible, a show-off. You're vulgar, you're inappropriate, you're unrefined, you're obnoxious. Well, Mr. Uh, Thompson, that's really quite a list. And you're right. You're absolutely right. And uh, I think if I really apply myself, I could be a totally changed person by the time we finish lunch. (laughs) It is a good movie. I, I like that movie quite a bit. You had Splash on your list. Uh, I think Colin mentioned it earlier, but that's, that's I don't think I've seen that movie in uh, 35 years or something. So I'm not, uh, I don't really have any kind of relationship with that movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I remember it as being good. It may not be. That's why it only gets a shout out and we don't have to talk about it. Okay. 
I think uh, Marcus, we shared a lot of movies. Um, Footloose um, is on my list of shout outs. Uh, we already talked about that a little bit. I think the only one that wasn't on there was, uh, well, I guess Starman. We haven't talked about that, right? David, or, sorry, David Carpenter, uh, John Carpenter's Starman uh, with um, Jeff, Bridges Jeff Bridges and uh, Karen Allen. Karen Allen, always loving Karen Allen. But yeah, he plays, oddly enough, a star man. Um, good movie. I got to watch it again. Watched it a lot back in the 80s, but haven't seen it since then. Uh, wondering if it still holds up. And then uh, Romancing the Stone, uh, which is Kathleen Turner. This was like the... the Kathleen Turner had an amazing run, right, in the, uh, in the early 80s, early to mid 80s. Um, and then uh, Michael Douglas. I, Emily and I watched this, uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago. It it's totally good. It really holds up. It's a good fun movie. So you know, yeah, this is one that when I was thinking when I was you know scanning through the movies of '84, I, I was wondering, is this a movie that's going to end up pretty high on my list? Because I recall it, you know, being very or really enjoying it. I just haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm just not that familiar with it. You know, other, other than a few key scenes in terms of the, you know, the the price to take a woman, a stranded woman to a, a telephone is $575 in traveler's checks or whatever it is. I remember that scene. Mm. I remember where they, where they find the downed plane and they're uh, making a campfire and he's putting keys of marijuana on the campfire and <laughs> just leaning over into the smoke. That's pretty funny. I think, um, I think they got super high. Yeah. And then I, remember, then I remember the end where he shows up in the boat and he has the alligator boots. And that that's about what I remember from that movie. But yeah. you say it's pretty good, huh? It is. Yeah. It's good, fun. Watch it again. Yeah. yeah. If you're looking for just a good, you know, like fun uh, movie on a Saturday night, uh, it's a good one. I think the only other movie that showed up looking at our list uh, was the commonality of the natural. And Colin, since you just watched this, anything you want to say about it? Um, okay. Yes. It's a really good movie. It's really good. All the baseball scenes are fantastic. Robert Redford is, is just really, Magnetic. really strong. The one thing I will say after having watched it again is that I feel like there's not enough baseball. You know, I, I, the scenes, you know, with, um, with him and Glenn Close are good. And the scenes with him and, um, Kim Basinger, uh, Kim Basinger, I think I didn't really love. I would actually love to see if they had like swapped roles. And which would have been a little difficult because Kim Basinger's she's she's much younger, but she's not that much younger. But if they had swapped roles, I would I would have liked them better because I don't really. Clint Close is a great actor, but uh, but just yeah, it's just it's it's a good it's a feel good movie. I hate Randy Newman, and yet his score, especially during those baseball scenes, is just amazing. I mean, talk about you know your heart soaring and stuff. Yeah, so it definitely holds up. Good, good, good movie. I, I I ended up raising it on my list of rankings for the for the year. Let's go ahead and move on to our honorable mentions. So movies you want to talk a little bit? They were just outside of your top five. Uh, yeah. So there's a movie that at least um, Marcus and I share, which is Sixteen Candles. They forgot my birthday. Classic. This is the single worst day of my entire life. Universal Pictures presents. 16 Candles. Dave, I, I don't see 16 Candles anywhere on your list. 
I think I saw it on your guys, and I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about it. So I didn't bother. Uh, okay. So you like this movie? Oh, I love this movie. Actually, okay, I think well, it's yeah. I think it's right. um, it's up there for. Um, it, was it probably maybe number two of Molly Ringwald's movies? And for that whole yeah, oh no, it's definitely that, number that. one for me. I don't like Pretty in Pink. What about The Breakfast Club? Um, second, I, I I prefer Sixteen Candles. I, I like Sixteen Candles over The Breakfast Club because I think it's just uh, funnier, um, a little bit sillier. Um, but really hits the, like the high school, junior high, high school sweet spot for me. Whereas yeah. Breakfast Club's a little bit too serious. Um, it also has like one of my all time favorite lines where, uh, the parents are like, like, like pushing their, their like, you know, uh, like 13 or 14 year old kid into the, um, into the gymnasium for the school dance. And he's like, no, no, I want to be with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I mean, I love this movie. I think it's tons of fun. I, I think the little, the, there's a whole bunch of little things that are uh, great. The John Cusack showing up as one of the, his two dorky friends who gets put in the trunk of the car. That, that's tons of fun. Um, the, you know, I, I know it's a, it's the, the racial sensitivity. Of this movie is not as not where it needs to be. Or it's very uh, early eighties. Let me say. So oh, the, you had to bring that up. But but you know, so the, the but the Getty Wong stuff is pretty funny. I mean, it, you know the. Automobile? <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Getty Wong? <laughs> what the fuck's his name? Getty Watanabe. Did you go to high school with Getty Wong? I pr- no, I went to high school with, <laughs> I went to high school with Yeti Wong. So that was <laughs> yeah. a... Shit. Editing on aisle five. Okay. No, no, no editing. Um, Keeping the good stuff. I think, uh, I don't think it's as bad as. I mean, it's definitely borderline uh, stereotype. You mean we mean when he talks and they ring the big gong behind him, <laughs> dude? It's so bad, it's, but it's still it's, it's still funny because it's only it's, because it's nostalgic. Yeah, it's nostalgic. Then, yeah, it's, it really it really did not but age it, well. It goes did, like I nostalgia think cancels it, out racism. Didn't you know that? <laughs> no, I think he brings so much energy and brings it over the top that it's not. It's not. There's no like meanness to it. I don't think. I think it it ends up being. Says the white I'm, man. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, maybe I'm not one who can speak about it. But well, uh, maybe let's move off of Sixteen Candles, which I think we all agree is just a really good movie. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's a great, John great John Hughes comedy. It's a good one. What else you got on your list for honorable mentions? Um, Red Dawn, which I think is a movie that you're probably going to talk about later. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, the Natural. Okay, and then uh, Body Double, which we already talked about. Um, Marcus, what about you? Yeah, the other one I had on my list was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Was Craven's great thriller. I really enjoyed the first one. Um, great story uh, and just really a fun slasher movie. So the first Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I think it's funny. It, when you go back and watch this movie, because uh, I, I saw it probably maybe five or six years ago, uh, and I hadn't hadn't watched it in a long time since then. And you, you're more familiar these days, it feels like, with the Freddy Krueger of the sequels, which is, you know, the wisecracking guy and, um, you know, all the one-liners and all that kind of stuff. Like, was it welcome to TV, bitch, or, you know, uh, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, this one is, he doesn't have a, it's he doesn't, not that humorous of an edge. So it's, it's definitely a little bit darker. It has yeah, the, no, it's a lot more serious. He's the child molester in this one and he's not the, 
And it has some cool scenes, like I, I, the, his arms all stretched out in the alley in the beginning. That's pretty cool. Um, the the sequence where there's the girl in the body bag who is getting dragged through the, the high school hallway. Um, yeah, I think this is a pretty effective horror movie, and it has a has a great that one great kill scene where, and which I, I guess I would call iconic from a horror standpoint, where Johnny Depp gets sucked down into the bed and then gets blown up against the ceiling, and you know just basically has a big pool of blood. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. It has, this movie has some great visuals for sure. Yeah, I was to say the the concept of uh, being in the nightmares and the dreams. I thought this was a far more effective than the dreamscape, which is kind of funny that they both came out the same year. I, I was not a huge like horror fan um, during the '80s, and still I'm not. Um, although I do appreciate horror. You films. missed a great decade to not be a horror fan, then. Yeah. Well, no, I've seen a lot of these movies. It's just like I didn't see them over and over again. Yeah. But I did rewatch Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, about a year ago and I was shocked by how good it was and how much it like it it didn't um it wasn't like all of the other films in the series right and um and I was like oh yeah this is actually like a good like horror movie that's um, like all horror movies suffer that fate of like the first one is usually pretty good and then they slowly drag it out to you it, it definitely got ultra campy by yeah the end of it i don't, I don't even know how many sequels they made i, I stopped I after. eventually he fought jason i that stopped after five or something yeah. <laughs> probably probably a good spot to stop actually I, the, I will say the third movie is pretty good the dream warriors dream, dream oh, i like that movie yeah, yeah. No, that one's fun um and the second one is very strange it's a super strange movie I don't remember um, the second as much. Remember the third, like she becomes like total badass and. Okay, well, uh, my honorable mention. So I, I'll, I'll start with Red Dawn. Uh, I, I love this movie. Uh, uh, more than once, I have you know, as I've been hiking, sometimes with friends, sometimes with myself, simply standing on top of a large cliff overlooking a valley, you just want to raise your arm in the, in the air and yell Wolverines. Wolverines. That's uh, what you immediately think of when you think of this movie. Um, it has obviously a whole ton of. Uh, big stars so it's got patrick swayze um c thomas howell it has um uh, jennifer gray um so all all these young actors that show up there it's kind of fun to see them early um early in their careers has powers booth that shows up halfway through the movie as aardvark who gets shot down and he lends a cool presence to the movie uh so this movie also has obviously tons of cool sequences where you know, five or six kids with machine guns take down large sections of the Russian army. So probably not all that realistic. But uh, when you are a 13 year old kid and you're watching this, it definitely pumps you up. Um, it, and it has the the cool uh, Harry Dean Stanton avenge me moment where he's standing at the fence of the re-education camp. So it has all these, you know, all these fun, iconic moments. And, and the other thing I would say, the movie actually ends definitely on a bit of a downer note. So you, you watch these kids get picked off throughout the movie um, one by one. And uh, so it's not necessarily uplifting. Um, it's, you know, why would this movie not be in my top five? Because it's pretty cheeseball when you look at it right now. Um, it, and it does have, you know, that I mean, the you can read about this movie in terms of the its application as right-wing propaganda and all that kind of stuff. So you can go down the rabbit hole if you want, but... I just take it as kind of a, a fun action movie more than anything else. But, you know, I, I really like it. It's fun. It'll, it'll always be with me. The thing about this movie that I really like is that it takes place in New Mexico. <laughs> Andy, that was for you. 
believe it was filmed in New Mexico. Takes place in Colorado. Just want to get that on the record. Um, Andy will dispute you until his dying days. Yeah, it's a great Red Dawn's a great fun film. I remember it. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I really remember it fondly and exactly for the same reasons of teenagers kicking Russian ass. That's right. Didn't we all want to during the eighties? Yeah. That's what, that's what you did in the eighties. You kicked the Russians ass. You either did it in the boxing ring or you did it, you know, as a guerrilla fighter, or I'm sure there were some other things that, uh, I'm dropping in terms of other Russian movies. Did, uh, did anyone happen to see the Red Dawn remake from like, I don't know, like six years ago? Uh, I did see it. I have not actually. I, I, <laughs> I didn't buy the whole North Koreans, but it was not bad. It was not terrible. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty horrible. Um, it, mostly for, the you you one thing they did in the original is that there was a sense of time being drawn out because you see him going to the mountains and it's you know counting off the months so the idea is that okay they're getting their skills up they're learning how to fight that kind of thing in the remake they did it as one montage in about a minute and a half and everybody went from just being you know first time high schoolers to hardcore guerrilla fighters and um yeah i thought the remake was pretty bad well it definitely should never have been made (laughs) I mean, the whole premise is stupid with uh, the North Koreans um, well, and this was uh, a movie that they were uh, invading to, America. It's, it's ridiculous. They were supposed to be Chinese uh, invaders initially, and then there was the big controversy, so China pushed back and they changed it to North Korea. Uh, okay, well, and, and it delayed the uh, release of the film. So <laughs> That makes a lot more sense. So my other movie, just as an honorable mention, would be Star Trek III. Um, and I'll just, I just wanted to throw this one out here and talk about it really quick. I know coming off the Wrath of Khan, um, any movie, any Star Trek movie was going to be a letdown. Um, and there's this narrative that the uh, odd-numbered films are all really bad, which certainly five and uh, seven are. Um, but Star Trek Three is actually a pretty good movie. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll defend it. I think there are a few good sequences in that film uh, that really are standout, like for anything in the entire Star Trek movie series. The first one is the hijacking of the Enterprise. That whole scene is, uh, you know, every one of the Star Trek characters gets to do something cool. It's fun. It's high energy. It's, um, you know, when you have Scotty that has to, you know, get the doors open so the Enterprise can escape. Um, I think that's really cool. The fact that it's, they end up destroying the Enterprise, that's a really ballsy move. Um, I like how they were able to bring Spock back. There's, you know, it's, it's, um, granted it's using the Genesis planet, but it's not way out there as a concept. It kind of remains consistent to everything else they've shown in the movie. Um, and I think the, um, the end fight between Kirk and the Klingon is, uh, pure vintage Kirk fisticuffs. And I think it's tons of fun. Is that Christopher Lloyd is the, uh, Klingon commander? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's Christopher yes. Lloyd. And, and, uh, John Larroquette <laughs> is one of the Klingons on the ship as well. Actually, so it's an interesting mix of uh, of Klingons in that movie. I, I have not seen Star Trek three in a million years, probably because I watched it too many times when I, I had it on VHS. Um, but I will say the one thing I, I like about this movie, if I'm correct, is that um, the ship that they send uh, to um, to track them down was the uh, Excelsior. Right? Excelsior, yeah, which happens to be one of my like favorite Star uh, Star Trek uh, starships. Oh, you like that ship design? I, I, I do. That's the um, the Excelsior class. I think the Enterprise B was an Excelsior class. Um, and even though it's sort of like looks a bit like a pig, I, I happen to like it. Marcus, you might need to put a nerd alert banner at <laughs> edit on the ship when you actually when you uh, when we get to this moment. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, no, one one last thing I'd say: the writing in this movie I think is pretty good from a character standpoint. And I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but the scene where uh, Kirk is standing watching the Enterprise come through the atmosphere, and uh, and McCoy, you know, he and he says, "My God, Bones, what have I done?" And he says, "You know, you did what you had to do, what you always do: turn death into a fighting chance to live." That's a great piece of writing. It's a great piece of character. Um, it's yeah. a, and it's a great illustration of what Kirk, what made Kirk such a great character all the years. So it's really cool. I like it. And, I, and I'll defend it. It's certainly um, as good or better than a whole bunch of the other Star Trek movies. So, yeah. Underrated. It's underrated. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go underrated. How about that? Did not make my top five, but, you know, it's, uh, I like it. All right. Well, I guess that ends the first part of our... 1984 what's going to be a double feature podcast because there's just too much to cover so we'll be back with our top five until then this is the real dmc podcast signing off see you later bye and thanks for listening especially you jamie